Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Hello really and wish welcome you had. to I really I'm Michael wish Bentley, you and I'm here with Cayman Magnahan. This is a Magnahan. podcast about people Howdy. and businesses that and have as always, horrible mistakes, producer have fallen Lund. apart at the seams, hello, hello. or have just this been generally awful our two-part since their inception. On the video game They're the company, kind of people Sega. and businesses that and let me tell you, it man, gets frustrating. I really wish oh, you yeah. To get myself in the mood, I've been listening to a little bit of, I'm not sure if you've heard about them, Mega Driver, which is uh, the Brazilian band that invented the game metal genre. And if you get an opportunity to look it up, it is awesome. They just do covers of, like, Sega. Oh, so it's it's one of those metal bands that just, like, covers video game songs? They are the metal band. Like, they're the ones that started it. They're Mega Driver. Yeah, dude, I love that stuff. It's a Megabond. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. It's got me very much in the mood. I mean, I, I pumped myself up from listening to Rolling Star <laughs> over and over. <laughs> See, yeah. uh, this episode, I've tried to... I, I, I've thought about like maybe like doing some of the music or something, or I was gonna say Rolling Star, but then you just said it, and we're not supposed to do that because the copyright thing. Ah, uh, right. Michael we're gonna have to bleep upset. that. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to bleep that. We don't want to trigger Michael. We don't want to trigger Sega. 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 We can't do that either, right? <laughs> no, we can't do any of it. <laughs> he just looks so disappointed. <laughs> so last time we talked you through Sega's rise to the top of the video game market and their first wobbly steps towards collapse. This week, it's time to talk about the downfall of Sega. And that all begins with the Sega 32X. The downfall of Sega starts as many great downfalls do. In a hotel room in Las Vegas. <laughs> it was the Winter Consumer Electronics Showcase of 1994, and our good friend Hayao Nakayama, who you'll remember from last episode, is president of Sega of Japan, and also the man that I attribute the downfall of Sega to. Well, Nakayama calls the top people of Sega of America into this hotel room. That includes my, my good friend Tom Kalinske and the other top programmers of Sega of America. And Nakayama gives them a task. He wants to get a cartridge-based 32-bit platform to the market by Christmas. Now, keep in mind, this conversation is happening in January. So they have less than a year to create, market, and ship out a 32-bit platform. Well, I mean, how long does it take you to design, produce, and ship out a 32-bit platform? You know, as soon as I do that, I'll let you know and we can benchmark it. I'm sure it's easy. It's fine. Game console design, easy. 32-bit is for babies. Well, that's what's crazy about the whole thing is somehow they're still able to produce a prototype that's ready to show to the public by the summer. So maybe I'm overinflating how difficult it is because they do it within a couple months. And the prototype that they have is a mushroom-shaped add-on that hooks into the top of the Sega Genesis. And that's what's known as the Sega 32X. Basically, it boosts the processing power of the Genesis up to 32 bits from the 16-bit that it ran before. Oh my god, that's like double the bits. It's like double the blast processing. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. And people were really excited. Not for the 32X, but for the Sonic game that was undoubtedly going to release for the add-on. Because you see, Sega CD had gotten Sonic CD, and that was seen as one of the best Sonic games. Oh, by far. And it had time travel. Yeah. And, you know, that's pretty cool. So many wondered what Sonic 32X could have in store. And to add fuel to the fire, images had leaked to the press of fully rendered 3D characters running around in Sonic's world. Well, the 32X was released in the holiday season of 1994, so they made their deadline. But unfortunately... It didn't release with a Sonic game. 
In fact, it only had six games at launch, one of which was a crappy Doom port, which was really blowing up on PC. Mm-hmm. And one of the other six games required you to have both the Sega 32X and Sega CD to play it. And the other four were mostly arcade ports like they had been known for in the past. So there wasn't really a big selling point for the Sega 32X at launch. It's just absurd like having two peripherals that come out that are pretty much like, I don't want to say competing against each other, but you have to buy both of them to play one game and you expect that game to sell. Exactly. Like it, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it would be one thing if if the game was particularly like advanced but it again, it's still the crappy old Sega CD FMV, the full motion video stuff. And the, the jump to 32 bit is not that big of a leap. Like the, yeah. the jump from eight to 16 was huge. The jump from 16 to 32 is not that big, especially when you're running just the Sega 32X. Like the 32X is technically 32 bit, but it's like the lowest brand of 32 bit you could get. Uh. To make matters worse, in the holiday of 1994, Sega was going up against one of the highest rated platformers of all time in Donkey Kong Country, which had just released for the Super Nintendo. Oh my god, I love Donkey Kong Country. Dude, everybody loves Donkey Kong Country. That's an amazing game. That's a good game. Yeah. So when you're looking on the shelves and you're like, oh, I could get a Sega 32X or I could get Donkey Kong Country. Like, again, that would that would mean that you had a Genesis and a Super Nintendo. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, if you're looking to get a new console, like, do you get the Sega Genesis and a 32X or do you get Super Nintendo and Donkey Kong Country? And you pick Donkey Kong Country every time because it's an amazing game. Mm, Yeah, for sure. So needless to say, the 32X wasn't warmly received. And even those that were holding out for a Sonic game would have to wait until April of the following year when they got Knuckles Chaotix. Notice there's no mention of Sonic in the title. That's because this is a spin-off game starring exclusively side characters. And what about those 3D images that got leaked to the press of the, of the characters running around in Sonic's world? Well, those were created for an amusement park attraction and were not an actual game. So Knuckles Chaotix was essentially just cobbled together from a tech demo that was created for the Sega Saturn. So you may be wondering, what's the Sega Saturn? Well, that's the 32-bit console that Sega of Japan had been working on. That's right, Sega of Japan has been working on a competing console this entire time that utilizes similar 32-bit technology. And they've been doing this the entire time that Nakayama had asked Sega of America to make a 32-bit add-on for the Genesis. It was essentially a fool's errand to put the Genesis on life support until they could get the Saturn out there. And as soon as this news broke, the Sega 32X was doomed. According to Trip Hawkins, who was then president of Electronic Arts, everybody knows that the 32X is a band-aid. It's not a next-generation system. And I know it's early in the episode, but this is part two, so I feel like it's okay. Oh, yeah. I really wish you hadn't. I, this yeah. is right here. It's so stupid. Yeah. I'm talking directly to you, Nakayama. You knew full well in that hotel room in January that Project Saturn was being worked on in Japan. So why didn't you clue in the American team? Why pit your two divisions against each other when they could have been sharing these ideas and like making both products better? Or no, not both products. Make one product and make a really good one. Now, did Nakayama just want like Sega North America to fail? I don't know that that's what it is. Like, part of me wants to believe that he wanted to get both teams working on the same idea to see what would come out of that. 
But even if that were the case, why would you release both to market? Like, you would look at it at the end of the day and be like, okay, you develop this, you develop this. What's good about both? Yeah. Let's make one great thing. But you wouldn't release two competing products within the same company that's going to cannibalize your own business. Oh, man. You know how pissed I would be if I bought a 32X and they were like, oh, yeah, and a new console is coming out. Exactly. <laughs> and it's also 32 bits. Like, it's... Yeah. What a bummer. So anyway, damn you, Nakayama. Damn you. Yeah, so, I mean, going going off more on the Saturn, Michael, what would you say is the most important part about a video game console? You, you, you touched it earlier. I don't think that you even meant to. But what is the most important part when you're looking to buy a video game console? Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Close. Not quite. It's the games, Michael. It's the games. The games, the games, Michael. But are, are the games Sonic games? <laughs> they got to be some sort of games. So just before we get into that, keep that in mind. The most important part about a console is the games. In November 1994 in Japan, the Saturn was released. And of course, in tradition, the following May in 1995, it was released in North America. So it was released four months ahead of schedule in the U.S. as a surprise. Now think about that as well. You announce that something's going to come out. You release it four months early because like, oh, like this is going to boost up sales. No, no one knew that it was coming out. And especially this is a time before the internet. Like, eh. <laughs> like no one knew that this thing was already out the market. So like it was a complete flop. What month did that come out again? May 1995. Exactly. So it's not even that like they surprise announced it and like released it during the holidays. Like nobody's no. buying stuff in May. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Maybe so, they were trying to get that uh, tax return money. Well, you know what it was? They were trying to beat a new contender, a challenger approaching. Sony had decided that they were wanting to get into the console market. And in September of 1995, they released the PlayStation. Ooh. Yeah, which is great. So a few things about the PlayStation, because keep in mind that the Saturn's already out right now. The PlayStation would retail for $299 US. The Saturn's initial price is $399. So it's $100 cheaper. Did you watch the E3 presentation from Sony? No, I actually didn't. When they announced it? Oh my God, this is such a good story. So anyway, the, you know, uh, Sega wants to do this surprise release, right? Like we're releasing the console four months early and they're they're planning on releasing it at E3. Yeah. So Tom Kalinske goes up and like shows off the, the Saturn. He's like, you know, and it's available today for $399 and you know big like I mean moderate applause like okay cool we're gonna go play your new console yeah Sony goes up right after and dude like walks up with all these notes sits him down on the podium and just says $299 and then walks off stage <laughs> and I mean yeah that's what it was this was before like at least home video game culture was huge like this is before like you had a lot of adults that I think really got it and at this point, really, like your kid asked for a gaming console, it doesn't really matter which one you're going to say, oh, I mean, that one's three ninety nine. This one's two ninety nine. I know what I'm getting them for Christmas. And it's that simple. So coming back to what makes a console good, besides all the PlayStation stuff, the Saturn following in true Sega fashion was difficult to program for more so than any of its previous consoles and much more so than the Sony PlayStation. It was an arcade-focused machine, 
In a time when arcades were dying in the US, even the arcade style video games that were huge hits on the Genesis like Golden Axe, Altered Beast, Streets of Rage, and Sonic didn't have sequels when the Saturn launched. So even if you were, like, the console's trying to lean into that arcade thing, saying that it's the arcade console, you don't even have the good arcade games. So, furthermore, Sega is having problems with all the people that are supposed to be programming its games or making new games for it. So on top of this, Sega gets in a disagreement with a developer named Core Design. Now, Core Design was supposed to make one of the initial releases on the Saturn. It was going to be one of the big titles, and it was the new Streets of Rage game, which Streets of Rage has always been a staple of the Sega gaming console. Well, after this disagreement, Core Design yeets themselves out of there, and they went to Nintendo and PlayStation and re-released the game that was supposed to be Streets of Rage as Fighting Force, which is an awesome game that didn't even go to Saturn. So Saturn just straight up dropped it. One of the games that they were supposed to have come to their console initially was just gone. Another thing that you want to launch, what, what, what game do you launch with uh, Sega consoles? Or should you launch with Sega consoles, Michael? Sonic. Should be a Sonic game. Every time. Sonic. Sonic, every time. I don't think that that happens. I don't think that they actually do that. So there was a game that was supposed to be coming out called Sonic Extreme. And it was being developed when the Saturn was supposed to come out. But of course, Sega moved up that launch. And due to programming difficulties and intervention from Sega Japan, the game ended up being canceled. It didn't launch with a Sonic game, and it didn't even get a Sonic game until they just did some shitty port of Sonic 3D from the Genesis. So you're getting a last generation game on your new console. Now, you would think this is okay, because Sega... You know, the arcade game's not doing great. That's fine. They have Sonic. Sonic's not doing great. That's fine. They still have sports games. Well, the most popular NFL and NBA sports games, which were their huge sellers, especially in the U.S. market, were absent on the console for over a year after its launch. PlayStation took that mantle. PlayStation immediately had sports games up took that entire consumer base. I mean, even if you didn't have the fact that the PlayStation was cheaper, it was already in there. So when the Saturn finally had NFL 97 come out, it absolutely sucked and was borderline like an unplayable game. So they completely lost, keeping up now, arcade games. They didn't have a good Sonic game. And what they did get was a port. They didn't have their sports games. So like you've lost your entire market that's why people buy consoles people buy consoles for the games so they were getting some success in japan with their games at this time and actually this next quote about sega of america comes from sega lord x who has a youtube channel that i've gotten actually a lot of my studying from but he's 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 fantastic and shout out congrats on getting over 50k subscribers sega lord x go check out his channel but he essentially phrases it perfectly when he says Sega America was more concerned with having games to sell rather than having good games to sell. So everything that was coming out was just half produced crap. Nothing that anyone was really excited about. Nothing that anyone was interested in. So Saturn was holding on selling half as many consoles as PlayStation. But with the introduction of the N64 in 1996 and three competitors being in the market, Saturn took a huge hit. By 1997, Sony controlled 47% of the console market, Nintendo controlled 40%, and Sega controlled only 12 
Sega, of course, had to go back to their old tactic of cutting prices multiple times to try and stay consistent with the competitors, leading to a huge loss in revenue for the company. Saturn sold just over 9 million consoles, making it a huge commercial failure, and by 1998, it was discontinued. Yeah, and just going back to, uh, I know I keep coming back to him, but he's my favorite person in the story, and he's very relevant, Tom Kalinske, president of Sega of America. Here's a quote from him in 2006. I felt like we were rushing Saturn. We didn't have the software right, and we didn't have the pricing right, so I felt we should have stayed with Genesis for another year. I recognize that our volumes would have gone down, but I think we would have had a much healthier company. We would have been more profitable, and I think the folks who appreciated games would have appreciated that we were still doing a lot of great product on the 16-bit hardware. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, you surprised everyone by releasing it early, but it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready by a long shot. I mean, it doesn't have your Sonic game, which it would have had had you given it more time. I mean, the project does eventually get discontinued, but, like, literally... The people that were designing the game were being worked so hard that they were like getting sick and like their staff was just dropping like flies. So, I mean, if you don't rush them, that might not be a problem that you have to face. You spend some time, get some of your more popular ports on your consoles. Like, there you go. That's a great idea. You let your sports games have time to be ready before it comes out. Tom Kalinske is completely correct. As he always is. Like, they just launched the thing way too early. Sure, they would have had to be fighting the market with Sony and and Nintendo after they came out, but you would have had decent games. Sega just didn't have decent games for the Saturn. So, and that really is the story of Sega, right? It's this follow-the-leader style of leadership, right? Because Sony was coming out with the PlayStation, which was a 32-bit system, they rushed the Saturn out to market. Nakayama, not only did he come out with the Saturn way too early, but he also cut support for the Genesis in 1995, which is completely insane. Again, to quote Tom Kalinske, the 16-bit business is going to be very strong for at least another two to three years. And this is what he told Nakayama leading up to this decision. And the 16-bit market still was strong for that amount of time. In 1996, a year after the release of both the Saturn and the PlayStation, Nintendo was still outselling both of them. So the fact that they so quickly cut Genesis, leaving them with a ton of unsold Genesis carts. So it was a huge financial burden for them to cut the support. Right. So now you have a failure of the Sega CD, the Sega 32X, and now the Saturn. Sega's operating under a mountain of debt. And Tom Kalinske still wants to spend more money. And it really seems like Sega of Japan didn't understand this tenet of American business called spending your way to a profit. Right. And that's all summed up in another quote by Tom Kalinske. One of my colleagues in Japan who I knew well and had a good relationship with said something to the effect of, you don't understand how browbeat and annoyed the Japanese executives here are because of your success. Every meeting we go into, Nakayama asks us, why can't you do things the way that Americans and Europeans did? Why aren't you guys as successful as they are? We've been around longer. I think the local executives didn't appreciate that he'd taken that tone with them. Apparently, he also beat them up over Sonic, which was never as successful in Japan as it was in the U.S. and Europe. To this day, that's still the case. And I think he was always throwing that in their faces, too. 
So clearly by late 95, there was great resentment built up. Jealousy, resentment, and kind of a desire to get back at those Americans that Nakayama kept throwing in their faces. End quote. So if that doesn't really sum up the entire, like, ecosystem of Sega of Japan and why they're doing the things that they're doing, like, I really like to believe that it's mistakes, but just the more you read into this, the more it feels like they're intentionally bombing their own company to get back at Tom Kalinske specifically. Right. And imagine being one of those people that had gotten the Sega CD and gotten the 32X. I mean, the Sega CD had a decent catalog of games, but the 32X had almost nothing by the time it was discontinued. So, Matt, you've just not only messed yourself up, but you've ostracized the whole group of loyal people that you had in the U.S. because they went out and bought this, and you immediately said, oh, but we're not going to produce anything for it. Right. We're just going to take your money. and uh, Yeah, and then you buy the 32X, and then a couple months later, they come out saying, we're making a new console. Yeah. And it's even when it comes out, the few people that, you know, forgive that mistake and they're like, oh, well, you know, this is going to be cool. You don't even have any games for it. I mean, they had games. They didn't have any great games. And you know what? Like, even the people who do continue to have faith are wrong. Like, as we get further into the story, the people who continue to hang on are going to be let down time and time again. Like, they are doing nothing to help their name. Because every single time that people put faith in them, they completely squander it. Do you think these are the people that became EA fans? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) We're going to have a series on EA at some point. We talk about it all the time, but it's such a big... We just hate them so much. Well, and what's crazy is how often they come up in this story. Like, I've still got another (laughs) piece of EA knowledge in this story um, that's a pretty good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway... After five years of desperately trying to turn this company around, Tom Kalinske resigned as president of America on, or as president of America. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, Kalinske 2020, I'm for it. Oh, I'm glad I caught that. So after five years of desperately trying to turn this company around, Tom Kalinske resigned as president of Sega of America on July 15, 1996. And to top it all off, granddaddy of Sega, David Rosen, the founder resigned from the board the next day. So I feel like that's intentional, right? David Rosen had to have seen how big of a deal that was for Tom Kalinske to step down. Oh, for sure. And it just makes me sad because Tom Kalinske knew American business. If you remember from the last episode, he was involved in some of the most lucrative American brands and not just involved, but in a leadership role. And Nakayama wasn't just hindering him. He was actively working against him. How was the 32X supposed to succeed alongside the Saturn? Especially when Sega of America was not aware of its existence. And I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, but I'm just so confused why Nakayama cannot just let Sega of America succeed. Yeah, and you said there that, you know, Kalinske was good at American business. And you're right, but American business is the world's business. If it works here, theoretically, it should work everywhere. That's the way that it's always worked, is we've been the leaders, and I'm not trying to, like... USA, be overtly USA, patriotic. USA, <laughs> USA, USA, US. Yeah, okay. So, but I mean, you know, starting this, I wasn't really sure that I was on board with you completely of how much you're fanboying over Tom Kalinske. It's not even fanboying. I, it's, I feel like you're it's right. completely yeah. deserving. Yeah, it is deserving. And Nakayama should have, you know, fell off a ladder and Kalinske should have taken the reins. And I'm sure that we would still have Sega to this day. Well, we do still have Sega to this day. Is, oh, yeah, well, come a... in. Come on. Come what on. What are you talking about? Have you played the 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 Yakuza games? 
Uh, actually, haven't played Yakuza. Total War. Total War is also good. That's Sega. Total. I, I've I've played the hell out of Total War. I do love Total War, and they actually got that new. Uh, was it Humankind coming out, which looks like a kind of like Civ Five rip? But I'm gonna play it anyways. I haven't seen it. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> as we'll get into later, none of that should exist. But we'll get there. We'll get right. into that. Right. So it would be another two years after Kalinsky stepping down that Nakayama would also leave Sega. But by that point, the damage had already been done. Along with Nakayama, 15 of the 25 board members also stepped down, either voluntarily or otherwise. If the course was going to be corrected, it was going to need new leadership. Next Gen Magazine had this to say, Unlike the Sega of 1995, which refused to admit that anything was wrong, the Sega of 1998 is composed of an entirely new team, one that recognizes the mistakes of its past and is determined not to repeat them. Can the company come back? That will be decided by the marketplace, but the initial plans and efforts seem promising. Uh, we'll see about that. So after the failure of the Saturn, this new team at Sega begins looking to make a new console that would address all the problems faced by Sega Saturn. The console was designed to be easy to program for while keeping costs low by using off-the-shelf parts rather than custom making their own. So for all their past consoles, they had been making everything from the ground up. They made their processor, they made their like sound device thing. Sound chip? Sound chip! There we go, nerd. And so, like, that's extremely expensive to develop and make all those things. So by using off-the-shelf parts, they could keep the cost down and therefore, you know, stay at the same price point as the new PlayStation, as the new Nintendo console. This console would come to be known as Dreamcast. So even Microsoft was brought in to develop a Dreamcast version of Windows CE to make porting PC games to Dreamcast easier than ever before and probably easier than any other console. The console would also feature a built-in modem allowing players to play games online, which is huge. Like, this is like the first time that a console is going to have that kind of capabilities. So, launched on November 27th, 1998 in Japan, but due to problems with the supply of hardware, only a limited number of Dreamcast actually had been made by the launch, with half of those going to pre-orders. So, people were excited about this when it finally did come out. And then couldn't get one. A uh, real Nintendo problem, as we saw with like the Wii and the Switch and those sort of things. The entire Japanese stock sold out on the first day. Sega estimated that if they had had the additional units, they could have sold another two hundred to 300,000 Dreamcast if they had that sufficient supply. So they missed a huge opportunity immediately with the Lost. Even though they fixed all these problems with the Dreamcast, their launch was an utter failure. So the Dreamcast launched with four games. So they learned a lesson from the Saturn and having some decent games to start off with. But it was supposed to launch with six. The two games that were delayed a few weeks at the launch of the console, Sonic Adventures and Sega Rally Championship 2, which were... Two of the games that were going to be the hugest ones on the console. So they couldn't even get that right, even though they really tried. But at least they did have a Sonic game, and Sonic Adventures is, I say, a baby game. Sonic Adventure is a great game. It's also adventure, a singular. It's just one adventure. There's not multiple adventures. 
But Sonic Adventure, I remember I remember going to Sears, which is probably an episode in the future. Yep. I would literally go to Sears every time my mom would go to the mall. I would stand in Sears and play their display Dreamcast just to play Sonic Adventure. I would play that first level over and over again because that's all the display had. But Sonic Adventure is a great game, and I've played it all the way through at least three times like in different parts of my life. It it's never gets old. It is a great game. <laughs> it's a game for babies. You've never even played it. You played Sonic Adventure 2. Sonic Adventure 2 is for babies. Sonic Adventure 1 is for men, like me, a man. <laughs> okay. Well, you tell you what, I'll go play Sonic Adventure, and I'll come back, and I'll let you guys know if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm not. It has a fishing minigame. Uh, I do love fishing minigames. That's how you make a game good. And that's how you can make a game Japanese. Oh, you know what game's for babies? <laughs> what? Animal Crossing. Oh, you shut your mouth. You shut your mouth. We're not even going to get into it. That's getting cut out of the episode. That's getting cut because it's dumb. You can't go and say lies, okay? You need to have facts, okay? That, that game is for babies. Animal Crossing is not up. for babies. Animal Crossing's for babies. <laughs> All right. So in the U.S., the Dreamcast launched on September 9th, 1999, which for those of you at home is nine nine ninety nine, And the launch brought in an estimated $97 million, which came as a shock to many. Like, nobody saw the console doing this well in the environment after the failure of the Saturn with the PlayStation 2 coming up. But despite all odds, it did. And it wasn't without its issues. Some consumers ended up getting Japanese games when they expected to get U.S. games, and you couldn't play those in your console due to region locking. So you couldn't play Japanese games on your U.S. console. And the popular ready-to-rumble boxing actually shipped with the wrong drivers. So the first shipment of those games were actually unplayable. But surprisingly, the best-selling game on the console at launch was NFL 2K, which beat out Sonic Adventure to be the top-selling release despite the fact that Sam's Club was giving out Sonic Adventure with every purchase of the Dreamcast. And NFL 2K was so popular because there was no Madden football to compete with. And Madden football is made by Electronic Arts, who had backed the PlayStation 2 and had basically refused to produce games for the Dreamcast. So needless to say, fans were very upset at this, and... Investors were even more upset due to the lost revenue. And as a result, over the last quarter of 99, EA stock dropped 27 points in response. So, yeah, EA backed the PlayStation, and that was probably a good move, but in the short term, it really hurt them. Man, I want to say it so bad. I want to say it so bad, and I know I can't. Just say it. Oh, EA Sports. Sports. It's, it's copyrighted. Yeah. <laughs> It's not in the episode. <laughs> Bleeping it. Yeah. And right. I mean, yeah, no. It, it, do you want me to go into why it was probably a good idea that EA decided to back Sony? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So a console comes out shortly after Sony's answer to the Dreamcast. This console is the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2 is pretty much, you know, hardware wise, about as good as the Dreamcast with one major, major difference. And that's that the PlayStation 2 had a DVD player. The big thing about this is this came at a time when DVDs were just starting to come around. And even to buy a DVD player, they were 
generally more expensive than a PlayStation was. So a lot of people saw this as the opportunity, oh, I can get this gaming console and I can have a DVD player both at the same time. So it's something for the family, it's something for the kid, it's something for everyone. And because of this, Dreamcast starts to take a major hit and PlayStation 2 is an instant success. Even at its launch in Japan, the best-selling software for the PlayStation 2 was not a game. It was the Matrix DVD. And I will say, even my Genesis-loving family with that console that we all played together, that we absolutely loved, made the switch to the PlayStation 2 because my family wanted a DVD player. And it stayed in the living room. We watched our DVDs. I played all my games in there. Rocket Power, mostly. But, I mean, because of this, you know, Dreamcast didn't really do anything particularly wrong i don't think like they really fixed a lot of the problems with their console they came out with something that was super cool but they didn't have the foresight to get a dvd player in there and because of that they got absolutely crushed everyone wanted the dvd player and it didn't matter really how good the playstation 2 was when families were going out that holiday season they were buying a console they were buying the one for their children in quotation marks because they want a dvd player And I really want to talk about Sega of Japan's handling of the Dreamcast. I don't have Nakayama to complain about anymore, which is going to be hard for me. But my focus is now on Isao Okawa, the chairman of Sega Enterprises. He's not a villain in this story. He's definitely not perfect, but he is essential. And that'll make more sense later. He makes a lot of mistakes, but he makes one very important decision. So, speaking of his mistakes, here's something stupid that he did. Literally a few months after the launch of the Dreamcast, Okawa announces that the Dreamcast will be the last Sega console. Sega of Japan was already making plans to release their biggest titles like Crazy Taxi and Sonic games as multi-platform titles. Crazy Taxi was already gearing up to be released on the PlayStation 2. Had that one. Yeah, I also had that game. <laughs> it was awesome. Me and, me and Colin used to play it all the time. Colin, you remember playing Crazy Taxi on the PlayStation 2? Oh, dude, I thought it was on the Dreamcast. That's no. why I really wanted to bring it up earlier because I know it came out on the Dreamcast, right? Right. It came out on the Dreamcast, but me and you used to play it always on the PlayStation. Okay. Yeah, I believe I you. I promise you. And I mean, it was a great game for the PS2. It was like one of those, I would say, like borderline essential ones. One of the ones that everyone had. It was stolen from Dreamcast. And what's crazy is we were talking about last time about how, like, arcade games weren't good console games because they're so repetitive. But, like, Crazy Taxi is the same way, but it's still just a great game. You run around grabbing people. I don't know. It's just crazy. Like, ha, it's crazy. Crazy Taxi. Well, see, there's there's a nice formula, and Sega really had the formula down, but they couldn't capitalize on it. They realized that people still want to play, like, those arcade games. I know. A lot of our friends still like playing the old Sega games. You know, there's definitely a place in this world for arcade games, but Sega didn't know how to translate that to a good console. I'm saying that there is definitely a, a market there. There is definitely a market there. And and what I'm saying right now is not criticizing their decision to release on other platforms. But why announce it like this? Like, shortly after you release your console, you're saying this is the last one we're ever making. Like, it's basically just putting the writing on the wall. Especially when the wound is still fresh from the abandonment of the 32X and the Saturn. And this fact wasn't lost on third-party developers. Victor Ireland of Working Design said, Software sales on Dreamcast suck. 
I'm not going to torpedo my company by supporting Dreamcast to satisfy a few people who wish Sega wasn't in real trouble. The writing's on the wall for Sega, and Sega of Japan has decreed that future to be multi-platform with or without Dreamcast. So, you're basically, you've come out with a console just to say we're not going to do consoles anymore. Yep. And I don't know what the reasoning with that was. Like, it's a new guy. It's not Nakayama. It's Okawa. So there wasn't this hatred of Tom Kalinske. He's not there either. I think they just expected it to be huge. And honestly, at the beginning, it was. I, and that's I, this goes back to Sony. I think that as soon as they saw that the PlayStation had a DVD player, they knew that they were screwed. I guess. And you can't, you're not coming back from that. The PlayStation was huge. Everybody had a PlayStation. Yeah. It's the best-selling console of all time. Yeah. Or I think, it, is it beat out by the Wii? Colin, can we get a fact check? Oh, I think it's the Wii, but I'll look it up. I mean, regardless, even if it's like second or third, it doesn't matter. Like everyone I knew had a PS2. If they didn't have a PS2, it was because they had an Xbox, which was also a DVD player. Yes, Cotton. Okay, it's the PlayStation 2 at greater than 155 million. Next is the DS. Then the Game Boy and Game Boy Color, which are together for some reason. Then the PS4. Then the PS1. Then the Wii. Wow. Oh, wow. So PlayStation dominates. Yeah, I really thought the Wii was higher than that. So okay, PlayStation Two is is so immensely successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. So anyway, third party developers are canceling their Dreamcast releases and scheduling them for the PlayStation Two. Like everybody's moving to the PlayStation Two. And on June twentieth. 2000, Sega officially allowed their software groups to develop for whatever platform they wanted. So many of them moved to PlayStation, many of them moved to Game Boy Advance, like whatever it may be. Not even internal Sega groups were developing for the Dreamcast anymore. And granddaddy of Sega, David Rosen, weighed in on this decision. He said that he had been suggesting this for over seven years, that Sega was a software company that was being weighed down by their hardware. And they were missing out on selling games to 70 million PlayStation users the entire time they were trying to make the Saturn work. At the year-end financial review in 2000, Sega announced that they were officially out of the console market for good and announced a $357 million loss for the year. As a result, so many people were trying to dump their Sega stock that the Tokyo Stock Exchange suspended trading of Sega stock for the whole day. And honestly, this should be the point in the story where I tell you that Sega shut its doors for good or got bought out by AOL or something. But that's not what happened. Remember when I said that Isao Okawa wasn't perfect, but he was essential to this story? In January of 2001, two months before his death, Okawa announced that he would be donating $692 million to ensure the future of Sega. And basically, that allowed Sega to continue its operation as a software company. And without that, this would have been the end of the story. And I can't believe that that's how the story ends. Like, literally, this guy comes in and is a real-life deus ex machina who just hands Sega the money that it needs to keep going. And you say that's where the story ends. No, it's where it should end. Like, the story should end with them losing all that money and closing their doors. You're right. Yeah. It's not where it ends. I'm happy it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that they got to keep going, but it's by complete chance that they just so happen to have this guy, this billionaire. He hands them over half a billion dollars. Right. And he just so happens to be dying. Like, 
it's so improbable that that would happen. Yeah, well, I mean, so what does Sega do with their second lease on life? Third-party development. And Sega's great at it. Sega does have some good games that come out. The Yakuza series, which, Colin, can you tell me how the Yakuza series is? Oh, it's excellent. It's excellent. Definitely worth a play. Super Monkey Ball. Very cool. Also, when it got to the Wii, Super Monkey Ball had some very cool games. So, like, they, they, it was great that they were able to develop for the Wii, because that was a perfect console for that game franchise. They also did a Mario Kart rip that came out on the Wii, which was fantastic. The Valkyria Chronicles. Very good. It was pretty much like 3D Fire Emblem, more like Advanced Wars for the Game Boy, but even better. Total War, awesome games, awesome strategy games I still play. Sonic Generations, that one actually sucked. That one was actually really bad. No, Sonic Generations, people love Sonic Generations. That's a personal opinion. The one where you switch between 3D and 2D. That's a personal opinion. If you say it sucks, that's a personal opinion. That was a widely acclaimed game. I also didn't like it, but you can't say that it sucked because... Was it widely acclaimed? People loved Sonic Generations. Okay, so Sonic Generations, some people like. You know what was available in 3D? Most people liked. So really, there's only a few Sonic games to talk about after Dreamcast, and that Sonic Generations, which apparently some people loved. Uh, you switched between old school Sonic and new Sonic, so you were doing the 3D and the 2D. It was available in 3D if you had a 3D TV. Uh, of course, that was that was very much a fad. And then, of course, they had the Sonic Mario games. So Sonic actually got very involved in the Nintendo world, and they sort of leased him out for the Olympic Games. They released him out. He was in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. So there was cool stuff there. And then the best one, in my opinion, the best Sonic game to come out since they closed is a game called Sonic Mania, which is a real Return to Roots 2D. Unfortunately, that one wasn't actually even made by Sega, but still a fantastic game. And they did a good job with providing that license. They also have some upcoming games. They have one called Humankind, which is like uh, the Civilization games, kind of like a rip of that. But you make your own civilization. You're not playing as someone else. So it actually looks pretty neat. And I'll probably check it out. I mean, that's that's really what they've become now. And it's working out for them. The Sega name is still around. Well, and another thing that they're doing now is just they continue to release classic Genesis consoles that are loaded with classic Genesis games. Because yeah, and even like to your point, like Sonic Mania is one of their biggest franchises. They really haven't made a name for themselves outside of these like one-off, like series. It's I don't know. I mean, they definitely aren't where they were. Like they're still yeah. not the Sega that we knew. They're a new no. company that might as well like. They're just another third-party video game developer, which is really sad because I feel like if you take Nakayama out of the picture, they would be the Sony of today. Like, they, the PlayStation would not exist. Like, something I didn't have uh, really the opportunity to get into is Sony originally went to Nintendo, and they wanted to make the Nintendo PlayStation. Yeah. And that was a thing that happened. And that all got shut down, as we all know. But what a lot of people don't know is after that all fell through, Sony went to Sega and went to Tom Kalinske and said, we want to partner with Sega and make the Sega PlayStation. And Tom Kalinske was all about it. Sony was all about it. But then they went to Sega of Japan, and they were like, no, we don't need Sony. And so Sony ended up completely destroying their company. Yeah. What was their last console again? Sega's. What's the name of that? Dreamcast? Nope. You're wrong. Ha ha. 
this is I, I'm going to get into this now because I don't feel like there's much else to talk about. So a little known fact, I did not know this. So I'll start doing the research. Do you know what the Pico is? No, please tell me. So Pico is an educational video game console for children that was released in June 1993. It was advertised as the computer that thinks it's a toy. And it was like kind of like those leapfrog consoles. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those. I had a little sister that had them. It's just like a kid's kind of video game. So it sold just under 4 million consoles during its life. In 2005, something called Pico Bina comes out. Now this is released by Sega Toys, which isn't exactly the Sega Corporation, although they are a part of it. So it's a more advanced system and in the successor to the Pico. It sold exclusively in Japan after the Pico performed poor in the American market. So it features its own screen, multiplayer support, and data saving. Bina Lite, which was the more affordable version of that console, was released July 17th, 2008. Though the console has not been officially discontinued, no games have been released for it since July 2011, which would mean that they still have a console that technically isn't discontinued. One. Two, their last console was released in 2008. Does anyone care? No. Is it important to the story? Probably not. What about the Genesis Classic? Okay, well that doesn't okay. that's just a, well if we're gonna get we're gonna get remake. technical and talk about some leapfrog bullshit. No, because the Beta the, the Pico and the Beta Light, like they actually produced games for them. They were their own individual thing. They produced hardware. Like that was something that blah, blah, blah. it was new. Cool? Definitely not. But it was a console. I'm gonna get you one for Christmas. I I would actually love that. Please yeah, do. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, I doubt I could afford one. I'm sure they're probably a collector's item. I, I honestly doubt it. They came out in 2008. They're exclusively in Japan. Import costs. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We can check it out. Just as a note, that's called the Sega Genesis Mini, not the Sega Genesis Classic. Okay, that's not the product. You didn't even name the product right. Whatever. I figured they would just keep copying nintendo so yeah we've mentioned it a few times at this point it is worth pointing out that sega has released the sega genesis mini same thing as the like snes classic the nes classic that nintendo released they're just taking their old system follow the leader i think atari did it too yeah they're taking their old system making it small and selling it again with the preloaded games but genesis has been doing it forever like yeah it's been doing it a long time with, like, really crappy ports. Yeah. So, I mean, if you ever get sad about the Sega being discontinued, just call your parents, remind them of that Christmas that they got you a PlayStation 2, and say, was the DVD that important? This is your fault, Mom! Did we really need the DVDs? Did we really need to watch Shrek 2 50 times? Did you really need to watch The Matrix a second time? <laughs> This is your parents' fault. This is the generation before us. They killed Sega. They murdered it. Those sons of bitches. And we shall never forgive them. Only for that thing. That's the only bad thing that they've that, that generation's ever done. That's right. That's it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Generations don't work like that. So is there anything else that you have to say on the subject, Michael? We did it. We did a two-part episode. We did do a two-part episode. And we couldn't have picked, you know... A can better you, topic. Can you not Squidward your and? And? No, you went and. And. 
<laughs> you were you were double fisting picking your nose. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was just closing it off because okay, I thought I was going to sneeze for a second. I want to sneeze on our listeners. Okay, whatever. Keep going. But I'm talking the rest of the episode like this now. Please don't. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I. It's a great story. There actually is a book called Console Wars, which I never got the opportunity to read it. I looked for it a little bit and couldn't really find it at Barnes and Noble, so I gave up. <laughs> but it's it goes over the Sega, it goes over the Nintendo, and it's actually being possibly made into a movie by Seth Rogen. No, hey, no, no, no. Um, they've actually decided it's going to be a TV series. Oh, so it's going to be a TV series. Yeah. Excellent. Well, oh, one more note I want to toss in. I almost forgot about this. I'm glad that I didn't. I was reading an old, like super old, like PC gamer article that was talking about like the fall of Sega and how Sega was starting to do poorly compared to the PlayStation and the Nintendo. So it essentially said there wasn't enough room in the market for three major gaming consoles. Well, after Sega kind of failed at its console game, you know what came out? The Xbox. So obviously that was not true. But Sega didn't have Halo. It's true. Sega didn't have Halo. And also the Xbox can play DVDs. Well, there you go. And that's what it's all about. Unless you're Nintendo. And then you get by just because... You're Nintendo. Surely the Wii plays DVDs, right? No. The Wii does not play DVDs? No. Neither does the GameCube. Well, I knew the GameCube wouldn't because they had the little baby discs. Yep. But the Wii had Netflix. The Wii had the Netflix app. The Wii did have Netflix. All right, guys. Well, thanks for checking in. Next week, we're going to have something that isn't Sega. So, and by next week, I mean two weeks from now. No, you mean next week. No, I next, don't. Yes, next you week, do. we'll possibly have something that isn't yes. Sega. No, no, you don't mean next week. We're releasing a bonus episode between episodes yes, one and two. Yes, that's what so I So it'll meant. be next week. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, it won't it, be next it week. It won't be next week when this fucking episode comes out. It'll be next it'll week be from episode last week. one. It'll be, It'll last, be last week. week there was a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed okay. that. <laughs> All right, guys. So same information as always. You want to reach out to us? You have any ideas? You have any comments? You want to tell me why Michael's so stupid and sucks all the time? Just send us an email at podcast at I really wish you com. You can reach us on Twitter at IRWYH podcast. You can find us on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't fuck and you can visit our website why don't you just write this shit down came and you have you've struggled with this every goddamn week <laughs> because i literally just had it and i closed it <laughs> and i didn't want to say anything because i thought that i had read it enough to actually get through it no nope. i'm sorry and you can visit us on our website at i really wish you we look forward to seeing you soon and until next time take it easy I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, don't release two competing products from within your own company. It's just bad business. And as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Push girls, push girls.